The broadcast is now starting. All attendees are in listen-only mode. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to our February webinar and podcast episode. If you're joining us live today, you have the opportunity to ask a question at any, any time. You can um, do that by using the Ask a Question function on your GoToWebinar control panel, and that will be answered at the end of the session. If you're viewing the recording or listening to the podcast later uh, and would like to ask a question, just feel free to contact us directly at smithinc.com. I'm now going to hand over to Mark Holton, SmithInc Director, to present his session, The Risks of Using Compliance Data When Offering Business Advisory Services. Over to you, Mark. Well, thank you very much, Andrea, and uh, good morning or good afternoon, good evening, good night, wherever you might be around the country. Uh, and welcome to the February SmithInc webinar. And the title of this one is The Risks of Relying on Compliance Data When Providing Advisory Services. Uh, over the years, I've been asked many times when using advisory tools, um, how do I get the numbers right so I can tell the right story to my client? And I think that's one of the overwhel overwhelming cha challenges in our industry, and that is using compliance reports, which we all know uh, are accurate, they reconcile, the debits equal the credits. Do they really provide the right data for an advisory discussion and service delivery around whatever your aim might be in your firm to get advisory services going. Um, if I was asked that over a number of years, I would say, no, they don't. Uh, they reconcile, they look nice, I'm pretty darn happy I could plug them into a, a dashboard tool, and there's a million of those out there at the moment, isn't there? And have a conversation with a client once or twice but how then do I take it to the third or fourth time? So I think we've got to be smarter and start to look at what story are we trying to tell when working in advisory with our clients? Let's be frank, in this era of real-time advice, and my prediction for advisory is we all will be doing stuff on real-time, real-time budgeting, real-time benchmarking, not too far down the track. In fact, I've seen that happening in other countries. You know. Well, the client's mindset to keeping the books up to date these days is not that much of a challenge, okay? The majority of clients we have are on the cloud or not, not they have a cloud strategy plan. Uh, regionally, I know that's still an issue with internet access, but these days in the future, you know, the majority of our clients are collaborating data. You know, they're bringing in things like uh, bank account feeds, credit card feeds, and everything else, and that's going to get more, not less. So from an accounting firm perspective, I think one of the challenges is what information do I put into these dashboard tools? What information is going to give me the right impact with the client? So as a financial storyteller, I'm telling the right story. So when we're looking at the client's records, sure it's fine to take them and integrate them, and let's be honest, every dashboard type tool out there at the moment talks about integrating it through the client accounting system. And whilst that's fantastic, my challenge to you today is if that happens and we rely on that data only, are we telling the right story? And one of my challenges with collaboration is exactly that. I know it's accurate. I know the numbers work, but do they help me with advisory? They sure as hell help me with compliance. I think the true position has to be, you know, what we're trying to achieve here. 
Are we trying to take their tax numbers, put them into a dashboard and talk to them about where they were in the past? That past could be six months, three months, six months, nine months, maybe longer ago. How much value is sitting there telling them had they done this six months ago, they wouldn't be in trouble? Or if they had not done this nine months ago, their profit would have been greater, their cash flow would have been stronger, and their business would have been worth more. How often can you get away with this? You know, you guys might be better than me, but I couldn't. You know, clients kept saying to me, why didn't you tell me this earlier? Why didn't we talk about it in advance instead of in arrears? But the compliance system is an arrears-based model. That's what it's all about. And then what am I trying to achieve with my advisory services? What's my aim? The aim of my advisory services from day one, 25 years ago, was to make the client's business more valuable tomorrow than it is today. So I'm in the game of developing, enhancing, protecting wealth in my clients' businesses. So the model I need for, for advisory is heavily a wealth model. It might start with a tax model, but then I'll be looking to make changes based on the business, and this has to be individually done. You can't have a blanket system. It has to be individually aligned to be able to have a discussion with them about building wealth, managing wealth, protecting wealth, enhancing it, call it what you will. So start with the tax numbers, then think, what's going to give me the best conversation with the client? And when that happens, I really do think we need to get our head around the accuracy and the true situation in their business. So I'm going to hit you today with about half a dozen whatabouts. So have you considered in your advisory data entry and your advisory preparation, things like valuation of assets, inventory, work in progress, leased assets, fixed assets. If the client has a building, that is that building showing at current value or historical value? If it is historical and the building has gone up in value, is that creating the right wealth model to put in front of my client, let alone send to a bank and we hope that the bank and the client can sniff out that we've undervalued it in the books. I know that we always thrive on historical cost. In fact, 35 years ago, my first night at university, the lecturer said, quote, historical cost will be gone in 12 months, we'll be using current cost in the valuation of assets. I tell you what, it's been a long 12 months. It really has. So do we need to think about revaluing assets, making adjustment through an asset revaluation reserve in equity, bringing it to account? You know where this causes a problem in any bit of analytical software out there? And that is if I take the hit in the current period, all my numbers go out the door. So I've really got to go back to my first year of data entry, say what was that asset worth then, and then progressively adjust the value increase and or decrease from that perspective on, to get it to the position where this year, I'm only looking at movement around how far it's grown in the last 12, not taking four years maybe of growth and jamming into the current year, and then saying all my ratios don't look right. We've got to start to think about revenue outside the books, and we all know that happens. Heaven forbid, in a perfect world it wouldn't, but it does. So what's outside and not inside? And then what message are we trying to tell the client? What they're worth today 
what their profitability is today, what their revenue, their success measures, their key performance indicators are. So we need to discuss with the client, have a good understanding of what they do. We also need to be thinking about other adjustments like salaries and benefits paid to the owners, not at arm's length, not market-based. And I've seen this many times in a whole, whole, whole raft of analytical software tools dating back to Excel, the profit optimizer, through the cash flow story, and I've seen firms using tools like, you know, Analytics, Futurely, and all the other ones out there, Fathom, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the salary and wages are not market value. They're not commercial. Or, as I saw recently, last year the owner took a commercial salary out of overheads. This year they took it out of a credit loan account. And when I look at the records, sure, it reconciles. Sure, it's perfect in line with the tax numbers. But if it was an overhead last year, it's an overhead this year, irrespective of how it was funded. And if I'm looking at consistency, and don't forget, we were taught that as a convention, as a doctrine many, many years ago, the doctrine of consistency. That's the only way you can measure truly performance moving forward. So we've got to get our heads around, are they paying themselves overs or unders? You know, if it's a commercial job that they're doing that would otherwise be done by an employee, wages and salaries would have to be factored in. And there has to be a commercial arm's length value. Things like recoverability of debts. The one thing I don't see in any analytical tool is provision for doubtful debts. We all just put in the debtors figure off the balance sheet and then leave it to create an assumption that every one of those debts will be created over the next 12 months because we code them in current assets at an average rate of collection of whatever your debtors days are. How dangerous is that when, if you were to look at the client's ageing reports, a large amount of those debtors are sitting in 90 plus days. You know, the delinquency of those debtors is challenging. But just reconciling it to compliance and not thinking about what story I'm telling here, okay, is dangerous. I'm involved with a lot of not-for-profits, Ronald McDonald House Academy of Sports, uh, et cetera, et cetera. We have to put in a provision for doubtful debts. The auditors won't let us off without doing it. Even though some of our recoverability is quite amazing, we still have to have a provision. So as a non-profit, non-dividend declaring, non-wealth generating business, I'm under on more regulatory control than half of my clients are. Okay? We're planning, we're looking at management numbers, and that's the key word, management numbers. You know, what are we doing? What's realistic? And then if I'm going to do a projection in any of the analytical tools, okay? And I'm projecting debtors will be totally collected over the next 12. Well, you know the danger. I don't need to tell you. So, doubtful debts, leave entitlements. I speak to many firms. I said, you put in leave entitlements, provision for annual leave, long service leave. And the answer I get is, uh, we do in the bigger clients, maybe not in some of the others. So it's with some, not some. Well, the only problem you've got is if you're going to do advisory, the ones that don't have this in here, then think about the balance sheet implication. Think about the cash flow implication of leave entitlements not being put in there. So we've really got to go back to what we were taught year one at uni, and that is account to management level, reconcile the tax. And we used to do this before the introduction of technology and ELS and the rest of it, because now we very much account a tax. If you don't put it in, you don't have to remember to take it out. We've then got to start to think about the truth chart of accounts and the truth in accounting. Shareholder loans, 
are they classified as current liabilities, not equity? So it's a credit loan account. Every analytical tool out there is going to assume that you're going to repay it in the next 12 months. And I see this quite often. At worst case, put it to non-current. Better then, if it's not going to be repaid in the next 12 months, put it to equity. If it was a sole trader or a partnership, it would be in equity. Okay? If it was a trust, it would be in a shareholder's in a distribution account. But either, otherwise, if it's a pure vanilla creditors, uh, credit shareholder's loan account, director's loan account, in my mind, at worst, it should be in non-current. At best, put it to equity. And then correct the allocation of direct and indirect costs. This is the biggest single issue I see in advisory and software. Every advisory software tool needs to calculate the first line of profitability, and that is gross profit. I don't need to teach you this. You know it on the back of your hand. But if we code stuff from our compliance reports for service businesses, professional service firms, and there is no split in the compliance data for direct and indirect costs, and one of my team members just maps it straight in, tell me how I can have a business in this day and age with no GP. And then tell me how that will integrate with a lender when the first thing a lender does is to manage gross profit to working capital to establish marginal cash flow and funding in the future. We have to start to think, does the compliance numbers tell me the right story and do they aid in the introduction of advisory services. If they don't, consider going back and restructuring compliance reports to split direct and indirect costs and things like so. And while we're talking splitting, here's the other chestnut, and that's short and long-term debt. We have to get that split. If a client has a four-year HP, 25% in short-term, 75 in long-term, and then it gets amortised up and down correctly as the years pass. Again, if I put it all in short term, any tool is going to suggest and put it in the projection, the total repayment of that four-year HP in one year. If it's in long term, it's not going to factor in any repayment. So your cash flow is wrong. I love the science of accounting, guys. It's very hard to be half right or half wrong. It's either right or it's wrong. And what we're going to start to do is ask ourselves this question. Does the information truly give me the right position to have a conversation with the client about the wealth in their business, about the funding in their business, about the success in their business, just using tax numbers? By all means, start there. Then put these entries in. Look at what the story is. Resave the file as a wealth file. So you've still got your source document through the tax file but now you've got a conversational piece through the wealth file. So how do we apply wealth data to advisory? And what will be expected from us from clients over the next few years? I'm massive on this. The mistakes I'm making were far too transactionally focused. Heaven forbid, we used to put everything in Excel, do charts. I then discovered Profit Optimizer or Tache Optimist in the early days and then it became MYOB Profit Optimizer. It turned numbers into knowledge. It created charts. It was a beautiful thing. Uh, no clients understood it. I had a bug of a time trying to explain it, but it was a beautiful thing. What I never did until I sat down and thought about what the hell are we doing here 
is sit down and have a strategic conversation with the client about their goals, their results, their desired outcomes, their measures, their targets, their strategies. In other words, where are you today? Where do you want to get to in the future? How are we going to get there? Who's going to do it? When's it going to be done by? You know, anything a good strategic plan is. And then bring transactional processing, transactional reporting in at the right time. I'm a big believer you've got to start with strategy. You've got to have strategic conversations with clients around where they want to be in the future. What are their top five goals? What do they want to achieve in their business? You know, it might be I want to grow my sales by 5% each year over the next five years. That's a great goal. Uh, do you have the right staff measures in place? So let's do a org chart today, an org chart in 12 months, three years, five years to achieve that growth. Do I have a mission? Do I have a vision? Do I have values? Am I tracking KPIs, measures and targets? Strategically, what do I want to achieve in my business? What's my end goal? Which then leads, if you think about it, into succession planning, maybe estate planning, maybe business planning. And then bring in the portals, the dashboards, the sexy software when the time's right. If you lead with the, the dashboard stuff, I tell you now, Clients get sick and tired of seeing the same stuff every quarter. You will not get longevity. And I know that because that's what happened to us. What we had to start to think about more was are we trying to achieve one-off or annuity advisory? My goal is to get annuity advisory going in every accounting firm, particularly mine in the early days. Did we do it? No. Were we smart enough? Definitely not. Did we kick ourselves in the tail and start again? Absolutely. And that's when we created success. I, I cannot believe talking to accounting firms these days, the number of firms out there that are doing budgets and cash flows. And a large number of those are not by their own volition. It's because clients go on the bank, bank needs it, client comes to us because they can't do it themselves. We do it, we bill it, here it is, client gets loaned and everyone's happily ever after. How many of those budgets and cash flows are being treated, promoted, sold as an action plan, a month-by-month -month plan for success. How much we need to sell, how we're going to manage our costs, what's left for me, when do I need the cash in the business from outside the business to pay bills when they're due. I cannot understand why we're not selling quarterly board of advice meetings, feeding directly off budgets and cash flows, because then what you're starting to do is turn it into an annuity model, and then you can do it again and again and again for firms. You do a budget, you bill it, you make money, don't get me wrong, but you don't turn annuity services. Yet in the compliance model, it's 100% annuity. We don't do one tax return and say that's the end of the exercise. We're consistently doing it every year. It's the perfect annuity model. You have the right people at the right level doing the right task. Where advisory goes astray is we don't have the right people at the right level doing the right task. And the other thing I know emphatically from so long in this game is clients want accountability. They want someone to hold them to a plan. They want someone to drive them nuts. I'm very good at driving accounting firm nuts to a plan. I don't work with firms that don't plan, simple as that. So we've got to get that same message happening in our firms. And then we can start to do everything you can see on screen. Everything from financial health checks through to benchmarking and KPIs. And those KPIs open up a wealth of opportunity. I'm a big believer we should be doing top 10 KPIs for clients 
where six or seven out of 10 are stock standard for every client and three to four of them suit their industry. And that's when they become specifically generated to the client, okay? I'm big on board of advice meetings, creating the infrastructure, creating the systems, the processes, the checklists, the agendas, the tracks, the traits, the accountability measures, but only doing it once and applying it to as many clients as you wish, sort of like building a compliance accounting firm from the ground up. We can also start to do things like business value indications. I've been doing this for years. Work when they get out, measuring where they are at the moment, working with them to try to improve profit cash flow, to generate more return, and revaluing their businesses every month. And by the way, this is not a formal vow. We're not going to do this for a family law dispute or a partnership dispute or a buy-sell. This is a conversation between accountant client on creating value in their business and measuring it as you move forward. And how do I build advisory on the value I create through this situation? I also believe things like pre-lending assessments are a no-brainer. Analyzing bank covenants, is the interest cover at least two? Is debt service over 2.5? Is gearing under 1.5? If not, why not? What are we gonna do about it? There's a gap. How do I fill the gap? How do I get the client to the bank? with a loan submission that actually is going to give them a fighting chance of getting it. In my mind, all advisory is, is gap management. The only problem is you've got to define the gap. You've got to measure the gap. You've got to help the client fill the gap. And you've got to consistently challenge yourself and the client as to what's been done and what can be done in the future. Let's not make it any harder than it has to be. Because then you'll start to do things like estate planning, succession planning. Three-way cash flows. Well, the bank's doing that since the Royal Commission. They're selling that for us. Government grants. And then we can move into something that I've had an awful lot of success in, and that is showing the client the will I or won't I, the should I or shouldn't I. Showing clients the financial impact of key business decisions before they happen, not afterwards before. Should I or should I not? I reckon every client thinks that when they're going to make a decision. Should I buy a factory instead of renting it? If so, what's the best structure to go into? Should I buy a premise uh, as, an, as an office instead of renting it? What should I do? Should I factor in and, you know, my debtors? Should I look at external sourcing of debtors? How do I improve my margin and my analysis? How high can price go to volume? Give me a plan. How do I get a better return on investment? I want to employ a new employee. Tell me how much that employee has to earn for me before I put them on, not afterwards. I want to launch a new product, a new service. In fact, I'll go as far as to say any debit or any credit, you can show a client the financial impact of before they make that call. And if you need help with that, reach out. I've written 30 case studies on everything you see above because I'm not smart enough to remember it and I needed to put those case studies in place to train my team so they could do this when I was no longer there to do it with them. So I had to create scalability in my firm with it. The future, because we are running out of a bit of time today. Where do I see the future? Well, I see leveraging data inside cloud accounting systems. I see real-time benchmarking and budgeting at a granular level, as in products, volumes, pricing. is not that far off. I see conversations with clients where the data will be automatically updated. Don't tell me that's not happening at the moment. I see real-time trends, 
so easy to manage whether or not your client's business is performing better or worse than others in real time. I see big data having a major impact on how we do advisory work. I see indicators, lag indicators, lead indicators, good or poor performance, and the digital management of those things being quite exciting in the future. I see big data and the whole concept of big data, the whole concept of cognitive management of data, artificial intelligence leading into high quality data that literally is at our fingertips. <clears throat> the question with it is what are you going to do with it and how are you going to bill it and how much does that cost? Because no one's talked to me about that yet. I see a lot of technology, I see a lot of this stuff. Saw one of the accounting bodies launch a program a few years back on this. Fantastic, the information that come out of it for that particular industry they demoed it on. But they never once spoke about how do I sell it, how do I enthuse a client, how do I price it, how do I turn it into a service. And that's where we've got to be careful with advisory. Automation, new technology, provision of information is going to get bigger and better as we move forward. The real question is, what are we going to do with it? Machine learning, as I said, artificial intelligence, deep diving, okay? Teaching a machine information that's not going to forget like a human. Then in integrating artificial intelligence, specific information about client situations and getting this data provided to us and delivered quite often for free. Whilst the data might be free, I'm not doing it for free. But I think realistically, we've got to start to think what the machine will do in the future, not just to the compliance model, but to the advisory model. How will robo-advice impact on the industry? You know, if we don't get out there and start to create relationships around advisory, technology will have an impact. We are great advisors, guys. Accountants are great advisors. We've done it for years, we'll continue to do it. I'm personally not a believer of the whole compliance is dead stuff. That drives me nuts. I don't believe it for a moment, but I do believe the ability to get what we're currently getting out of compliance might be challenged sometime in the future. When that time is, is anyone's guess. So how do we get the best out of technology and automation and link that to quality advice that we actually charge for? That's the critical thing. Finally, before we do finish, because I'm pretty well out of time, as I always say with these seminars, if anyone online wants to have a chat, I'm quite happy to do a 45-minute chat with anyone. But what I will do is send you a little planning sheet that will ask you what your firm's numbers and goals are, broken down into the key income levels in your firm, what your risks and issues are, where you want to go in the future, and we'll have a discussion about the pathway to advisory success. You might already be doing it big time, wonderful. I'm really excited by that. But can we do it a bit smarter? Or you might be thinking about, I want to get down this pathway. And if you're going to start, I'll tell you one thing you've got to get right. Your structure, your infrastructure, your engagement model, and your delivery model. In other words, we've got to get the processes, the systems, and the people resources right. Then bring in software when it's required to help me deliver a service. That's the overwhelming thing. If you are interested in that, shoot me an email. You'll find me, obviously, at the Smith Inc. website. I'll be happy to have that chat, totally complimentary. So, Andrea, I think I'm spot on time. Very good. Um, is there any questions that anybody has before we conclude the February webinar? 
Not at the moment. So I'll just give you a reminder, everybody, if you would like to ask Mark a question now, just type that into your ask a question function on the control panel there, and I can read that out for you. Um, just a reminder to everybody that the session has been recorded. Um, we will get that over to you later today along with Mark's slides. And of course, if you've got questions later, just contact us directly by email or the website. Um, looks like you may have answered everybody's questions already, Mark. Just give it a couple of moments more. Yes, they're making it easy on me, Andrew. I know, very. Nothing coming through. It would also we'll also be uploading the recording to our podcast um, channel, so you're better done um, listen to that. Sorry on Spotify and iTunes. Um, I don't believe we've got any questions today, Mark. Well, guys, on that basis, thanks very much for attending. If you do have any questions at all or any comments or you want to have a bit of a chat with me, please reach out. I'll be more than happy to do so. I love having a chat to accounting firms and seeing what they're up to. Um, and on that basis, I'll say thank you, pass back to Andrea, and uh, look forward to talking to you on a future webinar. Great. Thanks very much, Mark, and thanks, everybody, for attending today.